If you have filled out your survey, if you would just pass it to the center aisle or the nearest idle, aisle, idle, <laughs> the nearest aisle, and we will collect those. We'll have somebody help collect those. And if you have not filled it out, make sure that you fill it out and on your way out, put it on the second shelf on that little table in the foyer. While they're collecting those, we want to review our memory verse, the key verse for the book of Job. So, um, Job 121. All right, we're making the font smaller and smaller so that you have to depend on your memory, all right? Okay, let's say it together. Job 121. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. That's good. I love hearing us saying the Word of God together. That's a good thing. All right. Invite you to turn to Job 38. Job 38. I I have to say I have really enjoyed the study in Job and um, it has been challenging. I know there's times to that we've been wading through the friends council and it's like will we ever get out of this hole so to speak and um and you knew the end, so you knew eventually we would. But it is fascinating to me to see lessons that we've learned from this. And I have to say I'm, I'm somewhat disappointed in our study guide that to me, chapters 38 through 42 are the best part of the book, and we do it in one week. I'm thinking... We could have at least spent two weeks, so I'm going to be preaching on it next week again, okay, because there's, there's just so much greatness there. And in case you haven't noticed, um, this will reveal how diligently you study. The study guide says this is Job 38 through Job 43. And when I opened the book and saw that, I thought, I thought Job had 42 chapters. And I know my mind is not what it used to be. but I, So I went to the book of Job, and it does have 42 chapters. So I don't know where this study guide is getting 40, chapter 43, but um, we're just studying through 42 tonight in our lessons, okay? So um, when God finally speaks to Job... He does not give Job any answers to his questions. He does not apologize for his silence. God has been long silent through all this. And Job has been asking um, for answers. He's been asking for something from God. And God answered Job. And, and he immediately jumps in with reproof. 
But in his answer, he did not answer any of Job's questions. He did not apologize for his silence. He did not give a hint of what took place between God and Satan at the very beginning. He didn't, he didn't give that detail to Job. We would have thought that would have been necessary. He didn't even acknowledge that Job had been through some deep struggles. I mean, God didn't come on the scene and say, God, Job, I know you've been struggling with these things here, and, and I understand you. He didn't even do that. When God finally speaks, He speaks with reproof. Job had gotten a bit independent and arrogant, defending himself, and and when, when we get caught up in defending ourselves, if we do that too long, we will drift into independence and arrogance. And in Job 38 and verse 2, he's basically asking, why are you using your ignorance to deny my providence? He says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's a pretty strong rebuke. You're you're making things darker by your words without knowledge. And, And then God responds to Job, to Job's questions, with questions. And God's questions... 77, some have said, I didn't take the time to count them. We know there's at least 66 questions. But God responds with, let's just say, 66 questions that he brings to Job. And God's questions are intended to create a contrast between God and man. If you think back to your days in school and and the teacher asks a question and maybe you caught yourself daydreaming or maybe you just had no clue what it was. And she's scanning the classroom and what was your reaction in that? Usually it was put your head down, hide behind the person in front of you And the worst thing that could possibly happen is she steps over and looks down the row and says, Dennis, what's your answer? You know, it's like, I don't even know the question. Or, I don't have a clue. And the worst thing you can do is try to make up something, you know, and we've all been there and done that. And then we're just digging the hole deeper. And some of you are going almost into anxiety attack, reliving some of those. Can you imagine standing before God? And I don't know about you. Read this from God's perspective. God's coming pretty hard on Job. Who set the measurements for these foundations, Job? Surely you know that, Dennis. No, I don't know that. And 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 he just he never relents. He just keeps asking these questions. 
And you can just picture in Job's mind, he's just shrinking and shrinking. That's enough. Okay, okay. I mean, but he didn't even say that. But God is doing this to show the stark contrast between God and man. And God's questions reveal to Job how much he would need to know to understand his suffering. God says, I know all this, and you're asking me to help you understand your suffering? I can't even begin to explain all that to you, he says. And God did not answer Job in the way that he expected. Job needed to realize that God and his ways and his works are beyond Job's ability to understand and our ability to understand. So the first set of questions from Job 38 through Job 40 verse 2 that we basically skipped over or went through, it revolves around one single thought. Can you explain or control my creation? He's asking Job, and he, and he gives all these points that we touched on. I'm not going to go over it. And he's basically asking, can, can you explain this, or can you control this? Are you the one that feeds the lions? Can you control that? And then, we didn't look at it, but... His second set of questions from Job 40, verse 6, to Job 41, 43 says, Can you change or subdue creation? And he, and he illustrates it by calling out two great creatures. One, a land animal, behemoth. And the other, a sea creature, Leviathan, and I'm, I'm not going to go into the details of that now, but these were, were masterful, powerful, uh, huge creatures that God had created. And he says to Job, okay, can you subdue these creatures? And so he again is emphasizing the greatness of God. God created him. God can subdue him. Job, can you do that? And and he's saying and showing that no one in their right mind would approach these beasts made by God. So who in their right mind would pick a fight with God? Who in their right mind would contend with God? If God is so great and he made this creature that, um, let's just say, one that we can relate to a little more closely, would you in your right mind contend with a grizzly bear without any weaponry? Just you and a grizzly bear? Of course not. Well, God's the one that made the grizzly bear, and he's greater than the grizzly bear. He's greater than behemoth. He's greater than Leviathan. And God says to Job, and you are coming to contend with me? 
You wouldn't think of approaching behemoth, but in, in your, the midst of your suffering, you're coming to pick a fight with me. And God's purpose in all his speech that he gives here is to get Job's heart right with him. Now, I know this may grind some of your gears that you may say, but Job was a, a blameless man. He was at the start of this, but how he responded to the suffering, it's evident from the speech that God gives that Job was in error. And thankfully, Job is a wise man and he responds in a biblical manner. Notice chapter 40 and verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Job's response shows great wisdom. Job had become an independent, self-assured, determined apologist defending himself. But now, as a result of God's address to him, has a change of heart. And I want us to look at three aspects, three results of Job's change of heart as a result of hearing God's speech. Number one was humility. In verse 4, he says, Behold, I am vile. We think of vile as disgusting, as... Uh, repudiating. The word that is used here is different than how we understand vile. The word that is used here, Job is saying, I am, I am of little value. I am insignificant. And, and it carries the sense of, of light of weight. Um, You've probably heard the statement, he's a lightweight, meaning he doesn't have much to him. And Job is saying he has just been exposed to God and the greatness of God. And Job has been overcome with humility and he said, I am a lightweight I am nothing. I am puny. I am pathetic. I am nothing. And one of the first things when we get a proper vision of God is that it will humble us. When Peter walked on water and then fell into the water and God rescued him and Peter realized this is God he fell on his face before him. And we must come. We, we live in, a, in an age that builds up self. Oh, self-worth. And you're so wonderful. And you're so great. And nobody's like you. Well, you know what? We're born with that attitude. We're all self-centered. Someone, someone mentioned the other day, to show how self-centered we are, when you see a picture that you're in, who's the first person you look at? 
right? You look at yourself. And, and we elevate self. But when we come to understand God, it is very humbling to us. We, we understand I am a lightweight. I am a felterweight. I mean, that's the, the little guys. You know what I'm saying? I've always been a lightweight. I wrestled in high school. I weighed 89 pounds my freshman year. And I'm wrestling guys 98 pounds. You know, God had that for me for a purpose. He's trying to drill into my head. You're a lightweight. You're a lightweight. You're a... And I embrace it. I'm not talking about weight. I'm talking about I am nothing compared to God. And you know what? We get like Job. I haven't sinned. I'm this. I'm that. I'm this. I'm an American. We deserve this. I'm better than that lazy bum that lives down the road from me. I'm. Th-. We're all lightweights. We're all puny. We're all nothing. I mean, we think we can do these things. We think we can do all this. God could turn anything loose on us, and He'd show us we have no control over anything. And mark this down, things happen in our life to humble us. Because God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And the whole, the whole aging process is a process of humbling. That you can't do what you used to be able to do. That when you try to do what you used to be able to do, you realize you can't, and not only that, you're sore and miserable and pay for it down the road. But life is a process of knocking out from under us our legs of self-sufficiency and self-worth that I'm somebody special. You know, all of life is that way. I mean, we are... We are insignificant. We are little weights. I mean, we might, we might develop a name in our neighborhood or in our community. You know what I mean? But take a big look. We're in southern Iowa. What is it in the grand scope of the United States, let alone the world? So the richest most um, successful person in, let's just say, all of Iowa. What is he compared to everybody else? Well, let's move up a notch. You go to Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett. All of us together would be nothing compared to them. But you know what? They are insignificant. They are nothing when you bring God in the picture. And so it's important for us to realize, as Job did, I am of little value in comparison to God. I am valuable to God, but I am insignificant. When you stand God up and stand me up, I am insignificant. Then we find in Job... 
a spirit of submission. He said, what shall I answer you? I will lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. He submits himself to God. He understands God's ways are higher than my ways. So whatever he allows, I will bow in submission before him. Since God is in full control, however he directs my steps, I will follow in obedience. Said, since God has answers I lack, whenever he speaks, I will listen. But no, we would rather talk than listen. We, by nature, would rather resist than obey. We would rather be in charge than to submit. That's our nature. That's our nature. We're against God. God is supreme. He is the authority over all. And yet, we often and consistently in our life resist His authority. It's important for us to realize that because He is the authority, we must submit to it. On the back of the bulletin is a poem that was written by a Puritan. And, and it really sums up this. When thou wouldest guide me, I control myself. When thou wouldest be sovereign, I rule myself. When thou wouldest take care of me, I take care of myself. When I should depend on your providing, I supply myself. When I should submit to your providence, I follow my will. When I should study love, honor, and trust thee, I serve myself. I fault and correct thy laws to suit myself instead of thee. I look to man's approbation and am by nature an idolater. Lord, it is my chief design to bring my heart back to thee. So he paints the picture of what we are. Then he says, but God, I want to bring my heart back to you. Convince me that I cannot be my own God or make myself happy nor my own Christ to restore my joy, nor my own spirit to teach, guide, and rule me. Help me to see that grace does this by providential affliction. Notice this. By providential affliction, grace accomplishes this. For when my credit is God, thou dost cast me lower. When riches are my idol, thou dost wing them away. When pleasure is my all... Thou dost turn it into bitterness. Take away my roving eye, curious ear, greedy appetite, lustful heart. Show me that none of these things can heal a wounded conscience or support a tottering frame or uphold the departing spirit. Then take me to the cross and leave me there. There is a spirit of submission. And Job humbled himself and submitted to God, and then he had a sense of relief. He said, what shall I answer to you? Remember, we've seen earlier, God said, I'm willing to go to court with God. I'm willing to plead my case before God. I'm willing to to let him know my perspective. And now Job comes and says, no, 
I am not going to answer anything to you. I don't have all the answers, and I don't need to prove myself. I mean, what a change in the heart of Job. That he's not saying, okay, God, but could you explain to me this? He had a sense of relief. He is in charge, and I am not. It is much easier and enjoyable to let God rule. Um, when, when you sent Marilyn and I on the trip to Israel, I thoroughly enjoyed the trip. It was one of the best trips I've ever had in my life. And not just because of Israel. To me, that was great. But one of the things that was the extra bonus, it was everything was set out and planned and all, all I had to do was show up when they told me to show up. You know what? When you go on vacation, where are we going to eat? What are we going to have for lunch? Where are we going to spend the night? What are we going to have? Blah, 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 blah. You know, and, you, and so you look forward to coming home where you get back into a routine, Right? And it was, it, there were no decisions I had to make on that trip. And I thought, that's what's making this so great. But when we submit to God, I'm not saying we never have to make decisions. Let Him plan it out. We have to make decisions, but it's nice to rest in His control. When we are broken and brought to the end of ourselves, it is then that we can turn it over to God. And God uses life to bring us to that point, not so that we get answers and can spout off answers, but for us to learn to submit to God and rest in His care. Leighton Talbert, in his book, gave two illustrations of this. And I don't know if I'll have time for both of them, but the first one that I want to mention is Elizabeth Elliot. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, her husband was killed as a martyr in Ecuador. But she said, Faith's most severe tests come not when we see nothing, but when we see a stunning array of evidence that seems to prove our faith is vain. So what she's saying is, it's not that you see nothing. It's see you, all, you see all this evidence that's saying, your faith is vain. See, it's worthless. If God were God, if He were omnipotent, if He had cared, would this have happened? Is this that I face now the reward of my obedience? One turns in disbelief again from the circumstances and looks into the abyss. And in the abyss there is only blackness, no glimmer of light, no answering echo. It was a long time before I came to the realization that it is in our acceptance of what is given, whatever it may be, that God gives Himself. This grief, this sorrow, this total loss that empties my hands 
and breaks my heart, I may, if I will accept and by accepting it, find in my hand something to offer him. And so I give it back to him who is mysterious, who in mysterious exchange gives himself to me. She said she learned this not when her husband was martyred in Ecuador, but when she went back to Ecuador as a single missionary and the and her sole translator, the only one that could translate for her, was murdered. And, and it was in this that the rugs seemed to be swept out from under her. There were no rugs left, she said, to occupy my mind, nothing to distract. And it's in that when, when it seems as though Everything is saying your faith is worthless and in vain that she submitted to God and she came to know the very heart of God. The other illustration that I want to give and just briefly, Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India. 1912 was a year of stripping, she said. The power allotted to the enemy seemed at times far beyond the limits of the love of God. The first blow came when her spiritual mentor and mother in India passed away. Four days after, Lula, a precious convert saved out of the unspeaking horrors as a temple girl, also died. Just one week later came the master stroke the death of the stalwart fellow missionary Thomas Walker. In less than two weeks, far from home, Amy Carmichael was stripped of three of her most treasured earthly relations. She says, kind people wanting to console her said, it's very hard to see how this can be for the best. Amy responded, we are not asked to see Why need we when we know? We know not the answer is an inevitable, the answer to why. But the incontestable fact is that it is best. Others with a sigh and a shake of the head observe that it is difficult for us human beings to escape bitterness, even dumb rage when such things happen. It is indeed not only difficult, it is impossible, Amy wrote. There is only one way of victory over the bitterness and rage that comes naturally to us. To will what God wills brings peace. To will what God wills brings peace. There is no explanation for the why. And Job came to realize this and he humbled himself. And he submitted to God and he rested in the peace of God. So let me just quickly give four applications. Number one, God always speaks. Not in our time, but we live in a day where God, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, God in in former days spoke by his prophets, but now he has spoken unto us by his Son, Through the Word of God. God always speaks. And you may be in a time where you think you're not hearing from God. But as you keep pursuing Him, 
he speaks. If I reject what he says, he won't speak to me further. But God always speaks. Secondly, God doesn't tell us everything, but everything we need. God didn't tell Job why it happened. God didn't tell Job what took place between he and Satan. But he told Job everything he needed. And we sometimes want to have all the answers. 1 Peter chapter 1 says he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, we must embrace our smallness and God's greatness. John the Baptist understood this. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. We must embrace our smallness. God, I, I am a lightweight in comparison to you. And we get a, an elevated view in Romans 12. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And anything that we can do that puffs us up is because we're comparing ourselves to others. And anything that we can do can be gone like that with one nerve, one stroke, one stop of the heart or whatever. But we need to embrace God. You are, you are the story. I'm not. It's not about me. And then fourthly, proof of genuine humility is submission or obedience and peace. When we rest in God, when we understand, God, it's all about you, and you have put me in this place, and you have given me these opportunities, and I want to use them for your honor and glory, and I am submitting to you what you allow in my life, what you have gifted me with or not gifted me with, some people go through life saying, I wish I was this, I wish I was this, I wish I was this. True humility is evidenced in submission to God, and when we are submissive to God, there is a peace that rules in our heart. As Amy Carmichael said, to will what God wills brings peace. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would come to the conclusion of Job, that we would be humbled before you in a humility that produces submission, obedience, and peace. And Lord, I pray if there are individuals here today that have never humbled themselves to the point of saying, I am a sinner and cannot forgive my sins. I need Jesus Christ's forgiveness. Lord, I pray today that they would humble themselves and come to you and know the peace of sins forgiven. Lord, I pray for individuals today that perhaps have struggled maybe for years to events that have happened in their life. And Lord, although we don't know why or how, <clears throat> Lord, may we submit to You and allow Your grace to minister in our lives and may we know the peace that only You can give 
that we could show forth the glory of you. So, Lord, you know in our own hearts how hard it is for us to lay down our rebel arms, how hard it is for us to let go of control that we think we have, but we don't really have. You know how hard it is for us to submit. And yet, Lord, I pray whatever area of lives that your Spirit is touching even now, I pray that we would say, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. May there be great joy in your heart through our submission to you today. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Let's stand.